Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. So we've been preaching our way through this summertime through the Apostles' Creed, and every summer, you know, we've been, we did a sermon series, and so we've been, we've been doing this um, through, through, through summertime, um, since right before the, the Peach Festival. And so we've been preaching through it and figuring out what it is we believe as Christians. What do we confess we believe, and why do we believe it? And ultimately, you know, what, what does it have to bear on our lives? Is it just a dry set of doctrines, or is it something that's life-giving that uh, helps shape who we are uh, and, and how we live our lives as Christians. And last week, we covered the part of the creed that spoke of Jesus' suffering under Pontius Pilate, his death on the cross as well. And so we talked about his suffering isn't just the passion, but through how he suffered through his whole life. And we talked about how Pilate marks history, a moment in time, but also provides an example of those who know the truth of Jesus and are confronted by the truth of Christ and still reject him uh, and, and his 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 gospel. And then we talked about how the crucifixion is actually a triumph. We talked about there's different, we talked about there's different models or theories of what we call atonement, which is a fancy way of saying what Jesus does for us on the cross. And we talked about how there are a couple different ones, which I won't name because we'd be here, we could literally be here all day. And I know you don't want to do that. I could. Uh, (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, we know. Keep going. But we talked about how there's this one kind of that all of the other ones are kind of part of or subsumed by, and, and that motif is called Christus Victor or Christ Victorious. And so all of the other ones kind of fit under the umbrella of Christ Victorious, that he has, he has won a victory over sin, over death, over Satan, and over the, the, the power and the forces of evil. And then we also talked a little bit about the shame of sin and how Christ on the cross takes away uh, the shame that same sin brings. So today we're going to cover the part of the creed that deals with Jesus being dead, his burial, and then his descending. His descending. I know, he descends into the realm of the dead, and so the babies are already crying. We don't want to hear this part. Sorry, stick with me. But it's interesting, you know, there, there's this part of the creed about Jesus descending to the dead or to hell or to Hades. There's lots of Christians who actually don't confess this part of the creed. There's a very famous uh, pastor, well, he's retired now, but very famous uh, Bible teacher who says when they recite the creed at his church, they don't recite that part about Jesus descending to the dead. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. So first, let's talk about him being dead. And you're like, how can we, he's dead. What? All right, so... What possibly can we know from that? Well, I'm glad you asked that. In John 10, 17 to 18, Jesus says this. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, the charge I have received from my Father. And in Matthew 28, 45 to 46, Now from the sixth hour there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So you might be thinking to yourself, we covered this last week when we spoke of the crucifixion. 
Well, not really. Death is obviously the result of the crucifixion, and we spent our time dealing with the paradox of Jesus' appearing defeated and how that's actually the moment he conquered death, sin, and the spiritual forces of evil. But just like we've heard from the passage from St. John's Gospel here, Jesus has authority over his own life. No one can take it from him by force. It can only be given freely by him according to his obedience to the Father's plan. So we read the short portion in St. Matthew's Gospel. We see... When he says, when says verse 50, he yielded his spirit, we see this repeated in Luke and John as well. In Luke 23, 46, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. John 19, 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We always have to keep in, keep in mind that so, so Jesus has the authority. No one can take his life from him. He freely gives it. And he freely gives it for us. We always have to keep that in mind. When we read these texts about Jesus giving himself up over to death and the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, he does all this for us. And Jesus having authority over his life and death is important in the narrative of scripture. His act of laying his life down is voluntary, not out of coercion. Let's think back to the Garden of Eden, right? And the sin of our first parents. What does God say that were a result of their disobedience? God says, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, God says, you will die. So when they eat the fruit, do they immediately drop dead? <laughs> no, they don't immediately just drop dead as soon as they eat the fruit. When they eat the fruit, they don't instantly die. But we have to understand this act of disobedience as the first sin that gives the world over to sin and to the power of death. And what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is what? Death. And so when we talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension, we always have to keep in mind that the primary motif in Scripture is, yes, the forgiveness of sins and justification, but the primary motif is the triumph over sin and over death. And so Adam and Eve, in the story, they experience a spiritual type of death that eventually leads to their physical death, right? And so since Jesus is the sinless Lamb of God, death has no power over him. He's the only person who ever existed who never sinned. He never sowed the seeds of sin that results in death. The other thing that's worth noting here is that Jesus truly died. He didn't appear to be dead. He didn't swoon, right? He didn't go through this excruciating torment on the cross, and then they brought him down, and then someone's like, I think he's still breathing, and then they hid him in a cave, and then they slowly nursed him back to health, and then, you know, even after being scourged and whipped as cruelly as he was, and stabbed, and giant thorns, all of the terrible things that he, he endured, he somehow gets better. And then he and Mary Magdalene run off to France, and they have a bunch of kids who become now the, the these line of these kings or whatever. And then Robert Langdon discovers this, you know, and he unravels the conspiracy in, in the Da Vinci painting. No, that's bad history. That's not, what, that's not what happens. Jesus does not swoon on the cross. Jesus truly dies. The creed states this, that he truly dies. It makes it explicit. The theologian Thomas Oden, he says that the earliest critics of Christianity, they pointed out maybe Jesus didn't have to experience death. But then we answer this in, 
it's the understanding is, is that if Jesus shares in our humanity, he has to experience the full range of human life from birth to what? To death. The ACNA Catechism says the creed makes the point to emphasize that Jesus died a real bodily death, such as all people face because of our sins. So Jesus truly dies. Because we have to remember, particularly in John's gospel, they're coming up against some of these odd and different beliefs that Jesus wasn't really human, that he sort of just kind of floated above the ground like this and nothing really touched him and he didn't really get hungry. It just looked like he got hungry. And he didn't really die on the cross. It just looked like he did, sort of like an illusion, like a divine illusion. So the creed makes us explicit that Christ truly dies. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15 says, Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so the scripture brings this up, right? A lot of language about slavery, and that should make us think of the Exodus, right? It should make us think of the children of Israel, and there's a lot a lot of early Christian writing that, that uses the Exodus as an example of what Jesus does through his death and resurrection, freeing his people from lifelong slavery. The creed also takes the time to reinforce that Jesus was buried. Matthew 27, 59 to 60 says, And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. So you might think, oh, this is unnecessary. It's enough to say that he died. But then I ask you, then why do you think this detail is included? I think it's included here because it's the final straw, right? It's the final puzzle piece on the box. It's like when you go and they build you a nice, beautiful banana split and they've got the whipped cream, what do they put on the very, very top? The cherry. You can tell where my mind is right now. Claude's and Palmerton, so good. They put a cherry on it. So I, I kind of see that part of the creed that talks about Jesus being buried. It's kind of like the cherry on top, that it's reinforcing that he truly was dead, so much so that they took the time to put him in a tomb and to bury him. So then it says he descended. So there's a few different readings and confessions. You could, I've heard people say he descended to the dead. I've heard people say he descended into hell, and then you also have he descended into Hades. So we have these three, dead, Hades, hell, which one? So now we get to the point of the creed that sees a little bit of widespread disagreement. Some people don't believe that he descended. Some people believe that this is just language to just describe that he shared in death. But if it's just language used to describe him sharing in death, we already just talked about him being dead and buried. Why would it say he was dead, he was buried, and he was dead, 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 dead? It doesn't make any sense. So looking at this here, Let's look at a couple of texts of Scripture first. So Psalm 16.10 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Ephesians 4.8-10 says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? He also descended into the lowest regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And 1 Peter 3, 18 to 20 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's promise, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. 
So from these texts and how the early church and the post-apostolic fathers understood this, you can shed some light on what's going on here. So when we talk about Jesus descending into Hades or hell and, and, and death, we have to note that Hades and hell, they're not the same, they're not the same thing, right? They're not the same thing. And this is tough to pick, on, pick up on sometimes because we use them synonymously, anonymously and because of our English Bibles or how they're translated sometimes. And we should also note that Sheol and Hades may be speaking more of a condition and not so much of a place. But when we look at Hades or we look at hell, hell is the Greek word Gehenna, which is the place of punishment. And we all know this, right? But hell, here's the thing about hell. Hell is made for the end. For, for the end. Not for right now. It's made for the end. And hell is made not for us. Hell is made for Satan and, his, and, and, and the ones that followed him, right? When we read scripture, that's what we see. It's, it's something reserved for the end of time, for the spiritual forces of evil and, those, and their wicked servants. Hades, which we talked about here, Hades, or the Hebrew word shell, it means the grave, or it means dead, or the realm of the dead. So while we confess that the creed is that he descended, we probably shouldn't say he descended into hell, because hell and Hades aren't the same, they aren't the same thing, even though nowadays they're used kind of synonymously. So what's going on here is you have the dead in the realm of the dead, Sheol or Hades, or the condition of, of being dead. So the righteous were also, the, the unrighteous are there. What's, what's going on? We kind of get a picture of this in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right? One of Jesus' parables where the rich man dies, he's, he's in torment, and then the, the poor man is being comforted by Abraham, and he can see, the rich man sees the poor man, and he's like, send him to my relatives so they'll know of this, this, this awful place. And Abraham says, you were comforted in your life, and now it's basically his turn. Even if I sent somebody back from the dead, they wouldn't believe. So we kind of get a picture of what, what this is like, right? So what we say when Jesus descends into the dead, descended into the dead, we're saying a few things, and I will list them for you helpfully. So from these texts, we could say three things. The first is that Jesus preaches the good news of his victory to the wicked that are there in Hades, right? So in Jewish thought back then, they thought that disobedient angels were kind of like locked up there because of their wickedness in the time of Noah. And that's a whole other story that we don't have time to get into. We can talk about that later. Give me a call or shoot me an email or come see me. We'll talk about all about that. So Jesus is declaring his work and reminding them of their coming judgment. Number two, Jesus sets free the dead Old Testament saints and takes them to heaven. And we see this in the example in the letter to the Ephesians. St. Paul says that Jesus goes to the realm of the dead and take those who died in faith with him. Thus, those who die from then join him because they've been freed from the power of death too. And then number three, Jesus is victorious over death, Hades, and hell. Acts 2, 24, Peter says, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus is victorious over death, Hades, and hell. And we heard that passage from the book of Joshua that was just read about how they had to fight the Amorites and all of these other places. Those stories about them fighting them and bringing them under submission and being victorious is kind of a picture of what Jesus is going to be doing over their actual enemies, death, Hades, Satan. And Jesus is not a victim, right, in all of this. He is a victor who identifies with the victims so the victimized can be free. 
can be free. So because of this, we, like we also heard in, in, in the letter to the Ephesians, St. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. He says, put on the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. I actually had an armor of God set when I was a little kid. How many of you did? I had like a plastic one. I had like a, pl- a plastic shield with a cross on it and I had a helmet with a little visor that went down and I had, a little, had like a little breastplate and a little like greaves for your feet and had the, the best thing was like a plastic sword and it came with a sheath. So you could put it on your belt and put the sword in there and you could walk around. You could either, I guess, be the armor of God. It was, I guess it was marketed that way, but it, or you could be a knight, whichever one you want. Was I the only one that played with stuff like this? And, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Just give me an idea of my, my childhood there. But St. Paul says, put all of these things on. And the reason why we can't put on the armor of God is because of the victory that Christ won for us. When we're putting on the armor of God, like he says, we're not fighting a defensive retreat, right? We are sharing in Christ's victory. We are reinforcing the work of, of, of victorious action over death and hell and Hades and all that stuff that he accomplished through his passion. And Jesus says, the gates of hell will not stand against the church. And so, summing all of this up, when we confess that Jesus descended, we're confessing that he descended into the realm of the dead, that he preached the gospel to those who were there, and the Old Testament saints that believed in him and his coming, they were freed, they were liberated, and therefore, anybody else now who dies in Christ on our deaths, we are joined with him however that works, however we experience that. A theologian named Ben Myers, in conclusion, said this, because he shares our nature, he is able to fall with us into death. Because he is the Son of God, he is able to fill death with his presence so that the grave becomes a source of life. In Christ, the dead are united to God and are alive in the strength of that union. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who descended into Hades and freed all those there that were in prison. Be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you. Hope to have you visit us in the near future.